0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Get Real with Mama Moines. I am your host, Emily Moines, and I am so excited today because we are finally going to kick off our little petite book club. We're going to be discussing the book that I wrote over five years ago, Rising Up, Take Charge, Break the Cycle, and Rebuild a Kick-Ass Life. And we are going to kick it off today with three really special guests. I'm so excited to have all of them on the podcast today. I think that every single one of these ladies has such an incredible story that it's going to be so powerful. Uh, I can't wait to dive in. I want to introduce you to all three of them. Today we have Lexi, Katie, and Brittany. Hi, guys.
1: Hello. Thanks for having us. Hi. Thanks for having us
0: um how let's start with how do you how do the three of you know each other I know that Lexi reached out to me on my Instagram she DM'd me and the three of you were going to order the book and you're all friends so I want you to talk to me about that and then um have a little your own little book club where we can come on and discuss it but how do you how do the three of you all know one another
2: I think it probably makes sense to start with me since I'm kind of the person that brought everyone together as friends anyways. And you're Katie. Yeah, I'm Katie. I should have said that. Hi, Katie. (laughs) Hi. Hi, Emily. Um, So I've known Brittany since uh, first grade. Um, You know, our older sisters grew up as best friends. Mm -hmm. And so we've known each other for quite a long time. Um, We just happened to go to the same area for college that type of stuff, um, lived together for a while. Um, and then Lexi and I met on the first day of college. Um, and so we've known each other. I think we were just, we were talking recently. It's going to be our 10 year anniversary. <laughs> so, so, but, um, I don't know if someone else wants to jump in on how like this all came about, but I figured it made sense for me to say like, Hey, I'm the one who kind of brought us three together. And can yeah. you
0: give, um, just give out uh, the listeners uh, your uh, how old are you, all three of you? Um, I'm 28, or I think we're all 28. Yeah, Yeah. we're all 28. (laughs) Same age. Okay, because we have, I have a lot of listeners in that age group, uh, only because they followed my son and they found me and that's, they stayed with me, but (laughs) that's why. Yeah, so how did, (laughs) how did, how did did you all come, okay, yeah, go ahead, continue, I don't want to interrupt, this is your, your pleasure. Oh, good. What if you, Lexi, you
2: might be better at explaining, like, or I I don't know, we decided to watch, or we. Oh, yeah, go ahead.
1: (laughs) Uh, So we had started getting together to watch The Bachelor and Bachelorette weekly. Yep, And so that's how we started hanging out every single week. Like we've been friends, but then we started hanging out more regularly around The Bachelor. Um, And after the last season of Michelle, we really loved Michelle. Uh, That was a really fun season for us to watch. Uh, We're doing a bit of uh, Bachelor burnout. It seemed like there had been a marathon since January. Um, We're just back to back to back to back seasons. And we weren't particularly excited about Clayton being the Bachelor. So we took the opportunity to just take a break uh, from watching the show um, and decided, you know, what should we do instead. Um, and I had mentioned to them that I had DM'd you and how like responsive you are, and you're happy to chat with folks, which I thought was really cool. And they were like, "You're talking to Blake Moyne's mom?" And I was like, <laughs> <"Yeah."> <laughs> That's, really cool. "That's exactly my response." <laughs> um, and um, I, and they were just really surprised by that. And so I was like, "She wrote this this cool book um, about uh, how she had rebuilt uh, her life," and I talked about how. Um, From what I knew of your story before reading the book, it sounded really familiar to, to my story and the things that my mom experienced. And so the idea to do a book club around your book then spun from that. And so we decided to meet weekly to chat about the book uh, rather than meeting weekly to watch Clayton's season of The Bachelor. And it spiraled into now this this podcast series that you want to do with other folks who are reading. And um, I'm really looking forward to uh, all the conversations that are going to stem from this book club idea. So that is the story of how we ended up here.
0: Well, that's great. I love that. And sorry, Clayton. Sorry, <laughs> um, But no, I, I love that. I think that's great. And um, and yes, I do. I pretty much respond to just about everyone that does DM me because when I did start the platform, um, I started this five years ago, um, way before my son was a reality TV star. I had a platform um, with on, just helping women and sharing my story and how did I come out of um, a really toxic Abusive relationship to to rebuild a life that I consider to be my kick ass life. And my kick ass life is not what it was before. If you've read the book, you know that I had a very privileged, financially privileged life with my second marriage. Um, and I gave all that up to really just go back to the grassroots and live simplistically and get a fucking job because I didn't work for a long time, figure out how I was going <laughs> to you know, make my way and, and take care of myself without getting support. And I still had three kids in university. And so I wanted to share that with others because it's not, you know, it's not, it's not what happens to you. It's how you handle it and how you move forward. So um, I really, I thank you, Lexi, for, you know, giving me that, you know, the kudos that yes, I, I, I do respond to you. And I respond to anyone and everyone who I feel like needs a little bit of encouragement And so then when I got so, um, I had so many, I just had, I was just inundated with messages about the book. And I thought, why don't I just do a little book club where we can, I have a podcast where I can bring these women on and share their stories because although they're similar, they're still different. Like I didn't have issues with a blended family when I remarried because I had uh, my, my, my second husband didn't have his own kids but I know that you guys have questions for me as the mom navigating that relationship um, because you're looking at it from the perspective of the of, of the kids and that kind of relationship what did my kids go through and what was I thinking what was I feeling so that was really an interesting question I think Lexi it was you that wrote to me and said we're really interested to talk to you about how your your perspective on what the kids were going through and how you, the dynamic of that relationship when you were in this relationship with your, with your second husband. So let me just make clear, my, my children all have the same father. It was my first marriage and there's no issue there. Mm-hmm. The, the impetus for the book, it came from my second marriage. And so, um, Lexi, if I can just start by reading your email, because it really, uh, it really did touch me. And then we can talk about your story. And, um, and a question I had for all of you is, do you like, do you guys, do you guys, um, like when I was going through my divorce, my friends were instrumental in getting me through those fucking shitty, shitty days where I did not want to get out of bed. Are you guys that support system to each other?
2: Oh yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Like a- any any of them could call me at like three o'clock in the morning and I'd
0: come. <laughs> like there's it's so important. It is so important to have that little tribe backing you up because there oh, are days absolutely. that it's like it just sucks. So I'm glad you guys are that for one another. Yeah,
1: yeah I think it's actually incredibly <laughs> special. Um, I think it's actually, you know, too many people don't have the friendships that are deep enough to to lean on them in that way and so I I just feel very lucky to have such close friendships where I can go to my friends with really really deep dark things that I've experienced and they're able to be there for me Um, and I feel for people who haven't quite found that yet because not everyone lands in friendships that they can lean on in that way
0: no and i think that that is um that's a really great point they don't there's a lot of loneliness in the world especially today with with all the crap that's going on but i think that's why it's also this is i'm, I'm really proud to do a podcast where we can talk about these issues because there are women that perhaps don't um you know feel alone but when they hear stories like like yours and and katie's and, and britney's and mine that they're not alone and maybe they don't have somebody to lean on but they can hear and feel like okay you know i'm not the only one going through this and i can t- i too can get through these you know difficult times so um kudos to you guys i think i think friendships are like definitely something that i know for me was they and they, and they kicked my ass when it needed to be
2: kicked <laughs> that definitely happens yes, too. yeah yeah totally I, and i the one thing that i definitely try you know, I know people, I have people that I care about that don't have a lot of close friendships or their friendships are very, um, a lot more take than give. And like, just trying to tell people it's okay if you need more help than someone else for a while, but then like when they, when the other person needs help, you're there for them. And I think that's like people, I guess my impression of friendships and relationships, a lot of people think it has to be 50-50, but sometimes it's going to be 25 75 it it really just depends on what's going on in your life and being willing to recognize that like friendship is not it's what's the word it's it's i don't i I can't think of what it is but yeah it ebbs and flows
0: Yes, absolutely, and and that's life, and that's and that is life. It ebbs and flows, and it's not always um, going to be you know equal. It's sometimes you have friends that are going to require a lot more of your time and, yeah. and energy than others. And a lot of times, um, people are—I know this for a fact, because that that was me—are afraid they don't—they're too proud to ask for help. And so, when you have wow. a friend that recognizes that um, you do need help, and it's okay to not be okay, and it's okay to ask for help, um, because that's a lot—that's a lot you know, a lot of people do suffer with that. Like I, I, they're just, they are too proud to ask for help and they don't. Yeah. So if you can recognize that your friend needs help and, and you get right in there, that that's a keeper for, for life. Okay. I'm going to dive into Lexi, to your email. I'm going to, I'm a fast speaker, so I'm going to try and read it quickly. Cause I, it's a long one. <laughs> I'm going to leave some parts out. Um, so I'll just skip the first part. Uh, okay. So this is from Lexi. My parents were never together. I was a product of a teenage pregnancy and didn't meet my biological father until I was seven. He ended up being in and out of my life. We haven't spoken in 10 years now. My mom had my sister two years after me with another man, then my brother six years after me with her version of D. So, for those of you that don't know, D, I named my husband, fictional name Richard, in my book. And then I referred to him as Dick. And then I just um, called him D. <laughs> in the for the rest of the book so you're so my uh da, 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 with her version of d we all have different dads and my brother's dad is the one she ended up being married to from 20 2000. that doesn't matter he definitely had a narciss, he definitely had narcissistic tendencies was emotionally abusive and incredibly controlling especially financially for years my mother didn't work which empowered him uh which empowered him even more he had two kids of his own which he clearly favored especially his older son. I was the oldest for context. Being around him was constantly like walking on eggshells. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I often, often kept myself in my bedroom. That hurt when I read that because it reminded me a little bit of my daughter. Mm. And the worst part was how uh, he acted in public around other people in the, and in the community. He was Mr. Charismatic outside, of our, outside our home and Mr. Controlling with the temper inside the home. It wasn't all bad. We took road trips and we would do some fun things, but it would have traded it all for him to exit my life. Okay, that's just the first paragraph. So I'm gonna start there because you touched on so many points here that I think we need to talk about. Um, and this whole thing with them being super charming outside the home and then a completely different, it's like a Jekyll and Hyde inside yes. the home. Did you all have that with a parent? Um,
3: Jekyll and Hyde. Um, I guess I don't know necessarily. I, I'm Brittany, by the way. I don't think that my voice has really been out there. But um, not a Jekyll and Hyde. I think my, my parents were very charismatic. Um, and when we were out of course and they still charismatic with us but when we had issues that's like when it would be a problem and I know that I identify with like walking on eggshells thing I feel like I had to walk on eggshells
0: a lot with like my mom um and so Brittany if I can remember I think you said that it was your mom that I could be wrong because I read all your emails again this morning, but maybe mixing you up. Was it your mom that had narcissistic tendencies?
3: Yeah. I would, I wouldn't like say that she is like a narcissist. I don't know that. Well, you know what narcissism,
0: narcissism we do, you know, let me just, it, just, just, just jump in because yeah, I don't want to paint everybody with the same paint uh, brush. Yeah, and narcissism is on a spectrum, right? Right. So, um There's you know malignant narcissists. There's covert narcissists. There's overt. There's there's it's on a spectrum, and the pendulum can swing you know right, right or left. So not everybody there. There are some people that have narcissistic tendencies, and then there are malignant narcissists, which is you know completely different than just somebody who is selfish self-centered egotistical uh, self-absorbed doesn't take responsibility and then there's you know the far the other way which they're abusive financially physically emotionally you know mentally so so it's okay to say you know she had narcissistic you know tendencies but not like full-blown narcissism
3: yeah so yeah she definitely had some like tendencies And I would often have to like, I think where it definitely came into play with walking on eggshells was anything that had to kind of do with her that could be like seen in a bad light, she would see it in a bad light and that we are like criticizing her. So when it came to expressing emotions or having like some sort of conflict that we need to just talk it out and everything, I didn't feel like I could talk it out without it being some sort of blow up of her taking it as me just saying you're a shit mom or something like that. She would take and, it very personal. Yeah. She yeah.
0: Attacked. She always felt attacked. Like if you were a person. Yes, yes. Yeah. That's very common. That is a, very, that is a that is a common narcissistic tendency to mm-hmm. always be on the defensive and feel like everyone's attacking you and you can't trust anyone. And Yeah. Uh, Lexi, this is this uh, email came from you. So just tell us a little bit about what you went through and how your story resonated with the book.
1: Yeah. Um, So I was around maybe five or so when my mom first met him and then they got married when I think I was around uh, seven ish. Um, so for quite a long time, um, he was in my life, and all the way through um my freshman year of college is when they ended up separating. Um, and I remember from when I was really young not liking him, I never liked him. There was not a honeymoon period even when I was very, very young.
3: Yeah. Um,
1: and I remember my little sister who's two years younger than me, I would have her like talk to I would like talk to him through her. Uh, because of how much I felt uncomfortable and she was I think just younger and a little bit more naive uh, than I was even just at like you know six and four years old yeah Um, and I remember even when I was a little bit older like maybe seven eight nine asking my my grandma um, my mom's mom if like do you do do you really think they're going to be together forever grandma and I can even remember still today like the discomfort that she had because she loved us, her grandchildren so much, and she loved her daughter too and and didn't, you know, being an adult and having had these conversations with my grandma, she didn't like this man for her daughter either, but she was being put in such a tough spot where she couldn't be honest with an eight-year-old about how she really felt about uh, her, my stepdad. Right. Uh, And so that's something that I think is interesting that I'm sure others may relate to is just never having a good feeling about someone. Yes. Um, Yes. I, I, let me confirm that for you.
0: Sure. Um, so I'm going to validate your feelings because so, um, my, so my, I have three kids and, um, my daughter never warmed up to him ever, ever, ever. And my sons, so here's the thing when you're dealing with someone, um, I was a mama bear in that relationship with my kids. And when we would have major arguments, I I always, my kids did always come first, and I knew that there were times he was a fucking asshole and I would keep it from my kids. Mm-hmm. My daughter never warmed up to him. She had that instinct from day one. My boys was a little bit of a different story, and I'll tell you why because my boys, see, a narcissist needs um, to feel um, special, empowered, uh, grandiose, bravado. And the boys were athletes and they were AAA hockey and they were football players and they were good looking kids and um, they gave us, they gave me no trouble ever. So it made him look good. I feel like my boys made him look good and he would brag about them. Mm. And so he treated them very differently than he did my daughter. And so when the boys were young, like your age, they didn't really, you know, it really didn't didn't become problematic until they became older. And they're like, okay, I got your number. Okay, no, that's fucked up. No, that's messed up. No, that's, you can't, you can't act like that. You can't say that, but that wasn't until older, but I'm going to validate your feelings Lexi, because my daughter from a very, very young age, no, and she was in her bedroom a lot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely resonate with that. And I'm sure lots of people do. Um, similarly enough I also grew up a hockey player and it's so you would understand this environment firsthand Um, but that's where the favoritism kind of comes into play Uh, hundred percent his two sons played hockey and I played hockey and then my stepsister uh, did not and my sister did not Um, but uh, he would always be at their games he would coach for them and then I was constantly just like neglected um at at my sporting events
0: but hang on let me ask you a question about your sporting were you were you um were you a uh, higher uh, sorry were your stepbrothers at a higher level hockey were you at a lower level or were you were you both at the same level because usually it, it's you know if you're doing real well if you're triple a if you're uh then that's where their attention is going to go. If you're just, you know, house league, then. Pfft. But that wasn't yeah, the case for that you. That's a good
1: question. Uh, I, I, of course, would say I was for sure better than them. <laughs> <laughs> <like a> <laughs> in me. But um, I was also a couple of years older, but I was always on the A team. I was, I played varsity. I was a starting varsity. Uh, player. I, uh, I was on an international hockey team. Oh, cool. Good for so you. So I, yeah, I don't, I certainly don't think it's because of the lack of talent of me and my teammates. It, it was certainly like, he has displayed favoritism to his oldest son, especially, um, as long as I've, I ever knew him. Um, and I think it's because his oldest son was a product of a marriage where he wanted to have that child. okay um, so for clarification, He had two of his own kids, one that was a couple months younger than me. So we were in the same grade. Um, His daughter, who he had um, when he was very young, like he was in his early 20s and um, her mom was like 17, I believe. Um, And uh, she's similar to me. Like I met my father when I was seven she didn't meet him until she was like five or so years old. And it was actually the relationship with my mom that like forced him to reconnect with his own daughter. Uh, because my mom, similar to how you're saying, um, was a mama bear and she cared so much about being a mom herself that she couldn't understand why this man she was seeing, didn't have a relationship with his five-year-old daughter at the time. And so, um, He had that first daughter and then a couple years later ended up getting married and had his son. And this was like the quintessential get married. You plan this baby. He's your firstborn son. And the rest is kind of history as far as my perspective on that relationship and how he was always favoring his son. I know Katie references a story of like in, I went to college and um, I, my phone broke. And I needed a, I needed a new phone. I didn't have much money because I had given him all of my graduation money that I got from friends and family. You gave who, you
0: gave who your graduation money? Your stepfather? uh,
1: Yeah. uh, Because he was keeping a tally of the car insurance that he said that I owed him. Oh Um, my, even though you were a minor, like. I told my mom too. She was like, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. And I, this is um, something that was really profound, which to me is one of my waking up moments in my young adulthood is I remember telling her, I was like, I would rather be dead broke than owe that man anything. Oh
0: my God, I'm so proud of you for saying that right now. Like, oh my God, I kudos to you. Thank you. That's so empowering. I had this conversation with my girlfriend last night, actually. Um, That's so empowering when you can say, I would like, I remember saying, I'd rather live under a fucking bridge than this marriage one day longer. And when, right. you, yeah. when you feel that it's so empowering. So good for you. Okay, go ahead. You don't want to no want any money. You can make your own way. Awesome. Right.
1: And in college too, like with student loans uh, here in the U S we take out lots of student loans. Yep. Um, I, I had room and board. So I, I had my meals and I had a place to live. And so I knew that as long as I had a place to live and I had access to food that I didn't need need anything else. Um, so I went to college, um, ended up not having a phone for a while, my grandparents stepped in and they let, uh, gave me a flip phone. I went to college with a flip phone. Um,
2: and this was in 2012 for context is what I started college. Well, and I, so I was actually, I, it's one of like, I feel like a core memory at this point. So Lexi and I had obviously met when, um, her mom and stepdad were still together. And I remember like sitting across from Lexi in her dorm room with like the, when she was just trying to say like, I need a phone and, it was just kind of like ignored. And it's like, I know we also went to school, but four or five hours away from home. So it's not like we had a lot of ability to contact. I mean, I guess there's online, but it's just, it's a very core memory of like, fuck this guy. Like what the, in I didn't, I had never even met him,
0: but it didn't matter. Yeah, How long were they married, Lexi, your stepdad and your mom?
1: I think I want to say around 10 years I think they got married around 2002 and then ended up filing for divorce during my freshman year which was 2012 2013 um and did your
0: I don't know I know that you you didn't meet your biological father until you were seven did they have did both men have similar personalities
1: no I no I don't think so um I never really got to know my father that well. And so it's a little bit hard to say, um, especially.
0: I was just trying to dig into sort of your mom and her
1: mindset and what she. I would say, I would say my little sister's dad, the one that's two years younger than me is similar um, as far as like his way or the highway, um, just controlling. um, Is your mom still uh, with him? No, she's not with anybody
0: now. So she's okay. So she had so there was your but your biological dad, your stepdad, and then your the third, your sister's dad.
1: Yeah, the order would be my me first. I'm the oldest. Yep. and then my sister's dad. Yeah, a couple years after I was born, and then she married my youngest brother's dad for ten years, and he's the one that um, was uh, abusive emotionally and and financially. And, um, so the way that it resonated with the book and to circle back quickly to the favoritism, um, for the cell phone story, uh, like his son had broken his phone multiple times throughout the years and was always had a new one ready for him, like within the same week. And so that's just one example. I, I could share so many examples of the favoritism that, that was so obvious to me growing up. Um, but Uh, the way I resonated with the book and why I resonated with the book so much is I really did feel like it opened my eyes to my uh, mom's experience a little bit because you, I don't know if you're going to read this part of the email, but my mom has really struggled with substance abuse and also was later uh, diagnosed with major depression and anxiety disorder. And so um, when I was younger, it was undiagnosed. And so now in retrospect, I can see a lot of those patterns and how that affected me and how it affected her uh, ability to engage with, with him. Um, she was in her room a lot. And I would ask my mom for permission to, to do things, whether it's go to a movie with friends or you know go out to eat with my hockey teammates, etc. cetera. And she always made me ask him. And I there's so many instances where I was like, you're my mom. Like, why do I have to ask him? Uh, and it's just, uh, it's just sort so of much. the aspect of control. And he he was just needed control over every little aspect. And even when it came to like, if I had to get somewhere on time, I had to lie to him and tell him I had to be there like an hour earlier than I actually had to be there because I was running on his time. And so if, he, if I had to get somewhere at six and I told him I had to be there at six, I would always be late. So I would always have to lie about what time I had to be places. Um, I ended up having to do a lot of manipulation myself just because of the way he was manipulative. Um, which would cause a lot of conflict as well. Um, I'm
0: actually I'm actually surprised to hear that. Not surprised because I know a lot of women fall into um, fall into that where they are completely manipulated and controlled. That she would have uh, have you ask him um, because like when I when I said I was a mama bear, I I took full like don't fucking parent my kids. Mm -hmm. Don't hit my kids. Don't yell at my kids. You can do that to me, but fuck you when it comes to my kids. And so he, it it really, it really bothers me. It's hard to hear. It's hard to hear that your mom or, and a lot of moms out there, um, put their kids in that position. Because I I think, was it, who was, which one of you was telling me that? Your mom made you decide or made it, was that Catherine? Katie? Yeah, that was Katie. me. Yeah, Katie. Yeah. yeah. That made you, um, like, you're not fighting hard enough. You're not, like, you wanted you to lie to authorities that you wanted to live with her. And so we're sort of pinning you. Against. Yeah.
2: Yeah. The, I remember there was one time, and I mean, there were a lot of dynamics. That like breaks that my
0: heart so yeah. much. I'm that reading that was so hard for me as a mom to put a child in that position is like, oh, God, we God, parents can screw up our kids so badly. And it
2: happens so often too. Like, and not, I don't want to sideline too much from Lexi, but there were just, I mean, well like one time she said well you can easily walk down to the county and tell them and like at that time I was very um manipulated by like the story she told but even in my mind it, I was just like I don't want my I love my dad like that that feels like it's going too far and I think I was maybe fifth grade at that point so it, I mean it that type of stuff had just happened for years and years
0: and years yeah yeah and Yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Brittany. I like.
2: I
3: just always hate seeing that. Like when it seems like the kids after a divorce turn into kind of weapons for the the parents to get back at each other. In some instances, it's just so damaging.
0: Yes, it happens. It happens often. It more so, and this is why I also wrote the book because I get a lot of moms asking me a lot of. I say moms because my followers are like 95% women. So I talk to moms a lot. Um, And they, you know, I get comments like, your kids seem so grounded, you seem like you're so close with your kids, and your kids seem like, so um, like, they must have been awfully resilient. But what I can tell you, unequivocally, 100% that I think why I have been successful with my kids is that like, for example, their first, the, their, the divorce from my first husband, I made a decision. We both did that. We would live around the corner from each other. Mm. They were always, although there were days I wanted to stab him um, (laughs) and I'm sure he felt the same. Um, it is so important for anybody that's listening to this right now, as much as you hate that spouse in the moment, and you want to be as far away from them as possible, I am urging you for the sake of your children, put them first. Oh, yeah. It will pay off. It will pay off in leaps and bounds. Those we lived across the, well around the corner from each other so that the kids could have access. To both parents on their bike or walking anytime they wanted. And that is so important. I urge you put them first and you will have happy, productive adults. And I'm sorry that you guys had to go through that.
2: My mom, when when my dad, I don't remember them being together, but she actually lived right down the street. And so there was a period of my life where I could just walk to my dad's or walk back to my mom's. But I have very brief memories because I was under five years old. And then when I turned five, she moved an hour away, like to the cities. Uh, we're, we're in um, Minnesota. So Minneapolis, St. Paul. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, but like, she made the choice to leave. And I think that that really impacted um, my relationship with my our my, our, our relationship with I have two sisters um, from my mom and my dad, our relationship with our mom, our relationship with our father, um and just feeling like we're constantly pulled back and forth forth Mm -hmm.
0: constantly yeah it was so
2: exhausting um or okay now we have to go here and we have to go see this family and now I have to bring you here and now you have to go back um and just like we when I reflect back on it it was very chaotic and stressful for not only myself but my two sisters
0: oh yeah yes absolutely I can imagine I mean yes um, uh, sorry, Lexi, we cut you off. I just wanted oh, yeah. to finish your story, um, with your, um, with your mom and her, uh, how you, you now have a better understanding. Cause you do realize that she was suffering from, um, anxiety and, um, and that she was diagnosed. What was she diagnosed with? Did you actually have a diagnosis for her?
1: Yep. A uh, major depression and anxiety disorder.
0: Okay, so now you do you have a better understanding of um, maybe why she stayed in that relationship longer than she should have? Maybe even why she chose him in the first place.
1: I do, Um, I I do. And I think why she chose him in the first place, I think it was a mix of like the highs and lows that you described. Yes, absolutely.
0: Because I did say here, it wasn't all bad. We did go on some road trips and blah, blah, blah. And that's what keeps your mom and women like me hanging in there. Cause you keep holding out for that promise of a better tomorrow. It'll be shit today, but tomorrow is going to be great because the great is really great. Like you said, the highs are really, really high and then the lows are <laughs> debilitating lows, but that's what keeps you there. Cause you keep waiting for that high that you obviously you experienced as well. Right. Right. Exactly. Um,
1: and there's a, handful of like key things that you talk about in your book too that I specifically resonated with. Like for instance, I, I want to say maybe I was 16 or 17, my mom sat me and my sister down and said that she was going to leave him. And so we were so excited we were like finally I know where you're going with this. (laughs) We're finally going to get out of this like toxic grasp where you just feel like at home, like I, I really thrived outside of home because that's where I found like my um, ability to just be myself, like in hockey, I was also in band. um, And I excelled in both of those things outside of the home. And then being at home sucked though. And so I was so excited. It was like, I described it as the light. Finally we're approaching the light at the end of the tunnel. And then of course, um, not to our surprise, or you can see where this is going, but she decided to stay. She changed her mind. Mm-hmm. And I have a really specific memory of at this point I could drive. I was, so I was at least 16, maybe 17 and I got my sister in her car and this isn't a runaway story, but we, we, uh, I, I took my sister in my car and we drove to my mom's friend's house. who's um, was like an aunt figure to us. And we just like broke down, just sobbing, just like, how could she do this to us? Like, she got our hopes up. She told us she was leaving. She said she made it seem like it was really definitive. And then just like the rug got pulled out from under us. And then we had to stay there. Um, yeah. So that was something I really resonated with about how you touched on how like you you would find the courage to leave and then you got yeah. drawn back in. Yes. Um, something I really specifically related to.
0: Well, I'm sorry you went through that. I really am. And this is a conversation I've had with my kids as well. And I'm sorry. So sorry, especially my daughter. She took it. She was particularly affected by that second marriage. Um, uh, It is heartbreaking because you did say to me, I want, you sort of wanted to know from a mother's perspective.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: So when I was in that relationship, I did hide a lot from them. And I was, I was arrested twice and put in jail twice over my kids uh, for were you guys following the Gabby Petito case? Do you know anything about the Gabby Petito? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I was particularly triggered by that case because um, of the uh, arrest that was aired on TV where the police officers um, uh, pulled her, pulled them over and they ended up um, uh, labeling her the abuser and mm. the victim. Uh, and I was watching that and having have been you know in a situation where I was arrested and um, for domestic violence, knowing full so well that I was the uh, victim, not the abuser really triggered me so badly. And so Lexi, going back to what you were saying is I went as far as being arrested um, uh, because I did uh, retaliate in, in self-defense but it was usually over my kids. Like the reason why I finally left was because of my daughter, if you read in the book. Um, And I'm sorry that you had to go through that. Now I can tell you having been, you know, six years later, having done the work, having done the research, having done the reading, having gone to therapy, that your mom was going through what's called cognitive dissonance. And it's almost like a trauma bonding because your abuser is also your... Savior, so in my case, um, my uh, in my case, my then husband, after I was arrested because of him, he would come and bail me out and he would pay for everything and he would pay for the lawyers and he was going to make sure that I was going to be okay and I was going to be taken care of, and that's when I got you know gifts and and it really you know not not saying that there's no accountability with your mom. But you do, it's a real mind fuck when you're in those kinds of relationships. It really, really is. And it takes, I think the average statistically is four or five times of leaving before you leave for good. Mm-hmm. And you've got to battle that cognitive dissonance and cognitive dissonance is, is almost like if you don't know what that is, it's like your brain. So cognitively you are fighting. There's two parts of your brain that are fighting each other. So one side is like, this is fucked up. This is messed up. This is not right. This is wrong. This is toxic. This is like wrong on every level. This doesn't feel right. I don't feel secure. I don't feel stable. And then the other side of your brain is going, okay, but you know, every relationship has its ups and downs and you got to take the good with the bad and you can't just bail, you know, so quickly and the good times are so, so good. And then when you're in that A situation where you have left or you are fighting your brain literally will bring to the forefront it's called like romanticizing that relationship all you can think about and mom probably went through this is the good times that you had and all this shit gone gone and all you can think about is for me it was financial financial stability was great um, there were so many, like you like you said, your road trips and your trips, those were fantastic. So I, you know, maybe the sex was great, I don't know. But that's what you can think about. That's all that you think about. You romanticize that relationship, and they're so good at hoovering you back in. Because if she was truly in the cycle of abuse, that's why in my book I say break the cycle and rebuild a kick-ass life. There's a cycle. And I don't know, you know, all the specifics of. Your, her particular relationship. But generally what happens is the relationship um, takes off really, really fast. So they meet and relatively quickly, they're living together. They've really fast tracked the relationship. It's love bombing. They love bomb you. They idealize you everything. You're a great mom. You're a great cook. You're great at your job, blah, blah, blah. And then that slowly goes to devaluing you. And then there's a discard. Either you leave or you have a big fight or they threaten to leave. And then and then they hoover you. And then the love bombing starts again. And the idealizing, devaluing, discarding, hoover. And the hoovering stage is what gets you every single time. They're so good at manipulating and making you believe um, in your vision of, of what you can have that you keep coming back. And That is one big regret that I've apologized to my kids for because Mm -hmm. I left four times and went back. So I feel for you when you say that you were devastated and drove to your friend, mom's friend's house. And like, she pulled the rug from, uh, from under us. I validate that. I hear that.
1: Yeah. And, and another really specific thing that was similar was my mom also wasn't working and, um, my stepdad wasn't, wasn't, didn't, doesn't sound like he was as wealthy, but we lived in a nice middle-class life um, where, like I said, we got to go on road trips and, and do cool things. Um, but I was always so uncomfortable on those trips. Like I would, I would always rather just not be around him. Um and I often did when I got older, I would exclude myself from things like they would go take the boat out on the river for a day and I would just be like, no, thank you. I'm not going to come. Um, and so I excluded myself from a lot of that stuff. And then uh, leading up to college. Um, yeah, when I paid him that money, um, that was like the that was like my final like. Like, I don't need you anymore. I'm 18 and I'm going to college. The thing that was really hard though was leaving my little sister uh, who was two years younger than me um, because we leaned so heavily on each other as like the two of us, he was our stepdad that we didn't like. um, We're very uncomfortable around him. And I knew me leaving was like, I felt like I was leaving her behind to fend for herself, especially because my mom, especially now in retrospect, didn't have the tools to fend for herself and for my myself and my sister. Um, she was too depressed and dealing with substance issues too. And before then, actually we went after the first initial I'm leaving, Uh, we did family therapy and I still have such a grudge. Katie knows this story. I still have such a grudge about the family therapist. Um, and I, from now what I know about therapy, I was so young then I didn't understand therapy, but from what I know now, I don't see how this could have been her approach, but the therapist was very keen on keeping the family together.
0: Okay. Let me, let me, sorry. Uh, Hold your thought. Hold your thought. This is a real bone of contention with me. not every therapist is a good fit for your particular circumstance. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that not every therapist understands and has the wherewithal to know how to deal with a particular, um, especially narcissism in its true form. Like if you truly have narcissistic personality disorder, you need a therapist that understands the dynamic of what happens in that kind of relationship And a lot of them don't get it. And a lot of them don't know. And I think that they do such a disservice to families when they try and keep these families together, when they truly are so toxic. And if they're dealing with a narcissist, if your stepdad went into the therapy uh, session, they're master manipulators. They can manipulate the shit out of that um, therapist unless that therapist knows exactly what she's dealing with and can read the signs, the signals, the traits. So continue on with your therapy. Sorry, go ahead.
1: <laughs> no, I'm glad you interjected with that. That's all very true. Um, and so, yeah, we did family therapy and, and there's a couple sessions where it was larger groups. So it was me, my sister, um, my step-siblings and then our shared younger brother and then stepdad and my mom and then also smaller groups. So there's times where it was just me, my sister and the therapist. Um, and my mom was present with the, with us three. There's a couple of times where we had to be in the room with uh, the stepdad, which was never, there was never because of that, there wasn't really, I never felt safe to express my true feelings. No, of course not. not. Um, but the moments <laughs> that it was, when he was not there, um, I I would try to tell the therapist and I was like 16, 17. So I wasn't super young, but I was still, still naive to therapy and, and what really that meant for me. Um, but trying to tell her, like, I don't think they should be together. And I remember being so Felt feeling so belittled or like almost like you're just a ch- you're just a child like you don't really know what's best for the family well, and purpose was true. so yeah I just remember being her so like trying to convince me basically that them being together is what was best when at 16 17 like you're old enough to know that that's not no. maybe you don't have the work for it but you're old enough to recognize that this is not a healthy relationship and so I can only imagine what kind of manipulative tactics he was uh, using in his conversations with Yes,
0: the I was going to ask you now, do you know, so for the therapist sort of to conclude that, I'm assuming that that therapist um, had heard perhaps a different version uh, from, even from your mom, because if she was in that cognitive state, she could very well have said, you know, it's not all that bad and blah, 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 or whatever. But uh, were you ever were you ever in a therapy session where the therapist actually was questioning him as well? And did you ever listen to his responses and, and, and like, go, oh, what that's not fucking true. Like what? That's not what did, were you ever pervy to
1: his part, his side of the story? Not in depth. Um, I, I believe those conversations must've happened just when it was just him and my mom. Mm-hmm. When the, the one or two times I remember being in the room with him it was centered on like, the barriers between he and i forming a relationship and like i said i never felt comfortable to be super honest like i there it was a very shut down version of myself in that room when he yep. was there and so yeah there's really no scenario where i think the therapist was able to see the real picture and if anything was very manipulated by how he was uh, you know portraying the story of what was going on
2: and that's very and, common go ahead yeah, and i are so I think I told you, might've said this earlier, but like, so I'm a master's level social worker. Um, I've done therapy, worked with kids, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not what I do anymore. But when I hear, like, again, when I hear stuff like that, and again, one, I think people need to remember that social work, it has systemic buildings of like white supremacy and all these different, um, all these different, systemic barriers that influence like how people do their work um and well, one of
0: the- we could do a whole podcast just on that yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah yeah right
2: um and like our role is especially in family therapy or couples therapy is to be neutral and yes. to, and I mean obviously you call things that. out when when something's like really wrong like hey this is you know that's not appropriate um but like you're supposed to piece together all of the information it's in the core of like our teachings and but like I know I when I was in my graduate program I definitely there were a bunch of people that I said I would never fucking want to work with any of my clients ever like the majority and so it's so upsetting to hear that like and I I don't know if the therapist was a social worker or not but I know again therapists like there's so many that are so bad um Yes. And they, they contribute to the damage and our trauma. Um, and so I just wanted to plug that in, like as someone no, who has a experience.
0: I completely agree with you. I think that there is definitely a place for, you know, for uh, therapy and, and social workers and um, and, um, and uh, psychiatrists and all, all that. And I, and I agree with you. I think you're supposed to take all the information and then discern from all the information. And, you, and I don't... I, I did go to therapy, but I was never like my therapist. And I went through four therapists before I found one. So that tells you that they don't all get it. No, they don't get it. And I did go to therapy with my ex and um, I, one therapist totally had his number. And she's like, I can't help you. I'm sorry. I cannot help you guys as a couple. Um, he is way too angry. And I was like, oh, fuck. yes, finally, somebody sees it. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're very good at manipulating, uh, especially when you're not in the room and how they twist the story. And then the therapist sometimes, like you said, Katie, um, they're supposed to remain neutral, get gather all the information, but not well, you should keep the family together. Or, you know, Lexi, like we yeah. were making reference that they really thought that, you know, would be best to keep the family together. That, and that just makes me crazy because that's the, their personal view, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and the trauma that can be instilled from keeping a family together when there's so many toxic tendencies in that relationship. Uh, Like I said, I'd rather live under a bridge than have have been exposed one day longer to such an unhealthy, tumultuous um, situation. Um, So, you know, I, yeah, I, it's, it's still hard for me to talk about, especially when I talk to kids and I consider you guys kids. Um, we are, <laughs> yeah, even though you're adults, um, because it brings me back to, you know, what my kids, uh, also, uh, went through. Um, and, uh, I, I, just, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's, it's tough. It's tough for me to go back there. And then I have to keep thinking about, okay. Um, but you came to your senses, you broke the cycle and that's what they see now. Um, the strength um, that you had to get away, to move on and to rebuild a better life. Mm-hmm. So for all of you, um, after having, having, gone through that, do you feel like that you are in a place of strength and feel empowered and that you won't repeat a cycle? Because um, I always say that you always have the second chance to create the family that you always wanted. And so if you didn't get the first time around, you have that chance now to to create the family that you wanted. So do you feel like, do you guys feel like you're in a good position to do that? Or do you still feel triggered? How do you feel having been in what I would consider not healthy uh, family relationships?
1: For me, um, I was, it has, i I'm very aware of how my mom's toxic toxic and abusive relationship has affected me longer term into adulthood. Uh, for instance, financially, um, I've always been very determined to be financially free. Love that. Love able that. Able that. Everybody listen.
0: Sorry. Anyone that's listening, women, especially women, make sure that you are able to financially support yourself never be in a position where you are stuck because if you're stuck you are going to stay there much fucking longer than you have to carry on Lexi
1: yeah so because of my mom's finances especially post the divorce she left my freshman year of college she up and moved in the middle of the day while he was at work my uncle I was in college but my uncle my grandparents um all came in the middle of the day with um moving truck and just um pulled half of the stuff out of the house had like, something happened
0: or- what, what led to that had something happened like ha-
1: what what led to that going down like that where she had to move in the other day she was afraid that she would just get sucked back in if she tried to sit down and yes. talk to him yes. so in like the traditional movie-esque way be like i want to get a divorce from you she felt like he, he she he's just too manipulative and that he she would get sucked in and so they made it like an exit plan to get her out during the middle of the day while he was at work um and i was at college but i came home for the uh, winter break shortly after that to a completely different life at a townhouse and i had to share a bedroom with my mom Um, and my grandparents financially supported her for quite a while. And then she continued to have issues with substance abuse, which could be a whole different podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, I never wanted, my mom really struggled with money after she left. She hadn't worked. And then on top of her issues with mental health. Uh, She had a really hard time keeping jobs and and just being able to get out of bed every day and get herself to work regularly and just seeing the the really negative consequences of not having your own financial backing. I have been extremely career oriented throughout my my 20s. I'm 28. Um, I've really focused on my career and building myself um, to have a successful financial life so that I never have to worry about that in the ways that I saw my mom. Um, otherwise, yeah, I I have a very uh, low tolerance for mistreatment of any kind, whether it's romantic or friendship um, or just a coworker or anything. Um, I certainly don't want to put myself in a position to be manipulated. I hate being manipulated because of what I, I witnessed growing up. Um, and I'm also, I, I I believe a lot of my straightforwardness comes from living in such a manipulative household. Um, my friends know me as very blunt, which sometimes can backfire, but I would always rather be very, very honest with people than beat around the bush, which goes against the Minnesota niceness that exists there in our state. But I think that's
2: why we got along so well,
1: too, because we were pretty.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, um, I also think though it is attributed to me being hyper independent. Um, I live alone. I haven't been in any serious relationships and I think that there's a fear that exists there because of what I saw growing up. And I also know I, you said it on a podcast, Emily, that something like, unless you're like, I'm living a really good life on my own. Oh, I, and I know. So, I, I listen, yeah.
0: I, let me finish your sentence for you. Yes. Okay. Cause this is how I still live today having been divorced now for 6 years and not having not entered into another romantic relationship <clears throat> unless your unless your presence in my life feels better than my solitude don't bring it i'm not interested mm-hmm. so and i still live by that rule today because mm-hmm. my life is good and i finally feel whole on on my own, and so unless you come into my life and you can add to it, my solitude feels pretty goddamn good. So don't be <laughs> don't be coming in and destroying that. And I and Lexi, I think that's where you're at. Yeah, if yes.
1: Yeah. I really resonated with with that extremely. Um, I worked really hard. I have a a good paying job. I bought my first house. Good I feel for like you. I'm really, thank you. I feel like I really am putting things in place. To structure my own life. And like you said, like unless someone's going to come in and really add to that in a very positive way, I'm not interested in it. And so I'm very, I'm very conscious of how my mom's relationships um, have affected me and in, in like being very intentional and not letting that happen to me. And I, I feel Brittany and Katie would feel similarly, but of course, wanted to hear from you two as well. Yeah, I do
0: want to hear from Katie and, uh, and Brittany because I can tell you that although your, your stories are similar, but not, one positive thing that comes out of, a frog in my throat. One positive thing that comes out of having gone through that uh, experience and having had any adversity or struggle when whatever whatever that looks like, is that it really does make you stronger, mm-hmm. and it really does. Like I know that now, for me now, is when I see that red flag, and probably for you guys as well, uh, and especially Lexi, because you said like I like don't come into my life unless you're going to add to it. Um, I used to ignore red flags; I would sweep them under the rug. Now, God help you! If that the second that red flag. It comes up if I go on a date, which I don't really do very much, but if I have in the past, uh, no, there is no second date. There's no, there's no nothing. It's done, it's over. So it does put you in a position of being a lot smarter. And when somebody shows you who they are that first time, you're going to believe them that first time. You don't need two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times of complete bullshit to go through before you get it. So look at it that way. You guys, all three of you having gone through struggle and adversity has put you in a position, I think where you, um, are definitely, you definitely grow from that and become a lot more cognizant of what you, how you want your life to look. Um, there was one of you that touched on physical abuse. I think Katie, that was you. Um,
2: yeah, so, um, I think that was more around my, you know we always minimize our own stuff too and I think like that's something that I've grappled with um but there were a lot of like so I had a lot of um emotional like dysregulation when I was growing up so which essentially means like just volatile all the time um something happened that maybe to someone else would be very like very reasonable like oh this sucks like I would just explode which now I know from um going to therapy like that. I was diagnosed with depression, um, when I was 17 and that really made, and once I got on medication and I know medication is not for everyone, but yeah, it really like, it was like this weight came off my shoulders and I felt rational in my head. Um, so anyways, that's context for why. Um, so my, are you, were you going to say something? Yeah. No. Um, so I, would have, like, these outbursts, like, and, like, just screaming, crying, throwing fits, um, over something small, um, and so my grandparents, um, emigrated from the Netherlands in the 60s, and so they're at an age where they both grew up in the middle of World War II, didn't have a lot, like, I think they had over 10 siblings each, um, very, like, you know, growing up in a war zone, um, like so they were right on the border of germany and the netherlands so it was ended up like you know the the Nazis kind of came over took over all their space mm-hmm. um their food um so they my grandparents had very little um, tolerance yes very little tolerance mm-hmm. um and so it resulted in some instances of like what what 100% was physical abuse mm-hmm. um but as an adult i al- also recognize that like they were responding to their trauma like it was probably very triggering for them um again not an excuse Um, but but it gives me more because like my family despite all the chaos in it like for me and my parents I was always loved. Like that was a big Mm -hmm. reason of why my parents fought was because my mom wanted us to live with her and my dad wanted us with him and they had 50, 50 custody, but like my dad's parents very much were involved because, um, like helping my dad raise us. And so I was always loved, but I think that, that like, they still had unhealthy ways of responding to like this kid freaking out over. Um, well,
0: I think, yeah, um, no, I, I, I get you. And you know what, I mean, being older and, and in my mid 50s. Um, uh, so my parents, the Portuguese immigrated from Portugal, uh, okay. have a very different had a very different uh, upbringing. And, um, and, you know, like I talk about in my book, especially about with my father, mm-hmm. um, you know, he is, it took me a long, 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 long time to come to the realization that he is a product of his environment. And he doesn't have like your grandparents, right? They're a profitable yeah. environment. So he my my father doesn't didn't have the wherewithal to be nurturing and loving. And you know, because he 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 never had that. And he came from a home where he had an alcoholic abusive father. And so mm-hmm. it, you know, it manifests it, itself in him not knowing. and I don't want to excuse that behavior. Like, I I don't want to excuse it, but I have a better understanding today of how and why it happened because they really are working from um, the mindset of, you know, of where, where they, where they came from and they're replying from their experiences. And I
2: think that that too, like it speaks to generational trauma um, and how that really impacts like my dad, I mentioned this too, he kind of um, at times was emotionally unavailable or just was not really in tune with, so I have two sisters, so three girls, we were all teenagers at the same time, um, all pretty close in age, and he just didn't respond to things like in ways that made me feel validated, and it was almost like he didn't know how, Um, but that like to me too, well he, that for him came down from his parents, and so there's all of these things, but I view it as like my personal like responsibility to okay I'm aware of these things so if I ever have children like no matter what like I need to make sure I apologize to them and again I don't have kids so but that's like one thing that I feel like I've never gotten from my parents is an apology when I bring up legitimate
0: concerns yes but don't you feel like that's almost a blessing now because you are now cognizant of the fact that that is what you want going forward and that's what you want your family to look like and that's how the interaction and the exchange you want to have with your children yes that's almost like a blessing because you're, you're breaking the cycle essentially. Yeah.
3: Yeah, If I like, I think at some point I kind of like realized because, you know, you want to have like a really good sort of relationship with your parents. Um, and I honestly, like with my background, I always feel like my parents know me, but they don't know me very well emotionally. Mm -hmm. Like my mom saw me more as like an extension of herself. And then, you know, I couldn't really speak to her that well about my emotions without it turning into, well, like more about her than it was about me and, um, my dad. So I've been, I've been through two divorces. So I have a dad and a stepdad. Um, you're
0: you're close to your stepdad. Right? Yes,
3: yes. I am very close to my stepdad. My my real dad, um, I don't feel like I know him really well at all. <laughs> he has a hard time just, like, really showing us who he is, and he has a history of mental health, um, major depression as well, and kind of goes in, on and off, like, medication throughout his life, and um, just yeah, does doesn't know how to connect with us emotionally. Um, and my stepdad, I feel like he has been really the stable person in my life has been, um, he would come fucking running if anything ever, if
0: I ever needed anything. Um, and why do you you think that, that, that you're that your stepdad and your biological mom, why did that end? Cause he seemed like he was a real stable force in your life. There was right.
3: Like um, I think that they just kind of, I think honestly that they had things within their own life that they had to deal with, mm-hmm. you know, they had some personal work, that they had to do. And honestly, this is probably a reason a lot of people get yeah. divorced is that they don't do it. And yeah. then it ends up being an issue yeah. for themselves personally that affects their then relationship that they're in. And, um, who knows, they may be like, don't think it's their, their own issues that are getting in the way. They think it's the, that the partner is the issue and it's everything. Easy to blame. Right. right. So yeah. I think that they just never, really worked on that personal. Yeah. Like work into their own things. And then, um, then that created problems with them. And then, you know, they're not working on those as well, but, um, you know, my stepdad isn't perfect either. Um, and I think that there was a lot of financial issues that got in the way that then just kind of made emotional problems worse. worse, but
0: Financial, Um, financial stress is, is, it's really difficult. Right. But
3: yeah, my, my stepdad too, there was a dynamic of like, I didn't think that I could get extremely close to him because I thought that it would be um, a betrayal to my dad. Oh, to your dad, my dad, because he's my real dad. And yeah, like really, loving fully my stepdad might be, yeah, like a betrayal. I always felt as a kid. so I don't, I kind of had a wall with my stepdad as well, but um, I guess what I was, I think I was starting to say is that of course you want like a better relationship with your parents and yeah. uh, you sit there kind of hoping that it could be better and you do work on it, but you know, it just, it might not be like, um, especially if they don't do the personal work on their own issues, like you might never get there, but yeah, just, then instead of sitting and hoping that your relationship is better, like working on yourself to see yes. be that better parent yes, or when exactly. you are the
0: parent, that's, exactly. you know, that's what I really want to focus on now. Instead yes. of you know, good for you. I'm glad you said that because it is a hard pill to swallow sometimes when you come to the realization that you're not going to have the relationship with your parents that you wish you could have. Mm-hmm. And that's just, sorry, guys, like that's, that's, that's fucking, that's life. right? That's life. Um, And so you might not. And I know that with I struggle with the relationship with my dad, we're not particularly close. And I've come to the realization that it's we're never going to be close. Mm -hmm. But I have um, just accepted the fact that he is who he is. And he was the type of person that he was um, growing up and with my mom, because of his upbringing and his conditioning, and that the extent of my obligation uh, the extent of my obligation to my dad or a- any family member for that matter is to be polite in their presence. If there is no relationship, the extent of my obligation is to be polite and the story period, not just because their blood doesn't mean that they're good for you yeah. and that they should be in your life
3: right. and
0: that you should make them a big part of your life. Sometimes it just, it's just, it's, it's more detrimental to have them in your life when you come to that realization and then work on you and become becoming the better version of you like you said you are doing um Brittany then that goes so much further than you know just hoping and praying and you know like holding on to that you know that uh that feeling that, you know, you wish you could have had that relationship with your mom and dad. And, um, and sometimes it's just not going to happen. It's not meant to be. And that is okay turn the energy to you and what you want and the family, you guys, you, you know, you want. Mm -hmm.
2: And I know, so for my parents, like a big part of it. when I was younger, I had a more, like, you know, I really, I fought a lot with my dad. And I think I even said, there were points where I said, I don't want to live with you anymore. And his response would be, that's just your mom and f- saying that. And like, for me, it felt like he was invalidating me, but now that I'm older, which again, it was it, not healthy for him to respond like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he always was really good with boundaries. Didn't talk to us about money. Um, his relationship with my mom when they were together, which those were all things my mom did to us from a very young age. Um, and so like, she was very good at manipulating us into mm-hmm. like having, so that really affected my relationship with my dad. Um, yeah. And then when I was in like around 2016, kind of the rose colored glasses came off. Yeah. Um, like, wow, she's manipulating me. Um, or, like, wow, she lied about this um, because it was then my own life. Like it wasn't. It, my dad was not in the picture, or in the picture. Like they didn't have a relationship because once we were eighteen, like they didn't need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after that, like I was able to really reflect on my childhood and go, yeah, my dad still. There's a lot of things he needs to work on, um, but he was such a stable. He was so stable in my life, um, in uh, stable in the sense of like financially, I always have knew where I was going to bed. Um, and I'm very grateful that I've been able to kind of build that relationship. Um, and he's been a lot more vulnerable now because we're adults, but that was just something he would never ever, he would never talk poorly about my mom or my mom, even around Christmas this year, she said some wild shit about my dad to my, to my aunt. And I just later, I was just like, I don't know what she's talking about. Like, yeah so I don't know. Like there is some hope too. Like he's never gonna be perfect, but um I I do feel thankful that I have at least somewhat of a better relationship with my father. Yeah. Because yeah.
0: Well, you're never gonna be able to control what anyone else says or does or their actions or their reactions. All you can do is control how you react to their actions and reactions. Yeah. So your mom, you know, you're never gonna be able to that she is who she is, and she's you know you have full control over your responses. Yes. Stuff that you think is like, well, that's nonsense or that's crazy. Or, that's idiotic. Um, and you just take that with a grain of salt and, um, and know that you can't change anyone. No. You can only change yourself and how you react to a certain situation.
2: Right. Or set boundaries to like, oh, absolutely. Thinking, I've definitely yes. done that.
0: Like you can even though they're family, you can totally set boundaries. That's your prerogative. Yeah.
2: There was a time where I didn't talk to my mom for like six months, and she'd call me, and I was just like, I was very clear with you that yeah. like what you did was not okay. Yeah. Um. And I mean, and that's just a cycle, right? Like you try to set boundaries, they push them, try to make manipulate you into thinking it's your fault or that you had like you were culpable in the interaction, and sometimes you really aren't like. Yeah. Um,
0: How many cats do you have? I've seen like <laughs>
2: <laughs> so <laughs> all these cats. Yeah, they're cats part of the podcast house, yeah. too right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have, so um, I'm actually house sitting like for the next oh, year, but they're essentially they become my any animal becomes my animal when I'm around them because I just love them so much. But there's no, two yeah, here right know. Know, now, and oh. they have literally been
0: sitting right behind. No, the, I can see you know? them. That's why I'm like, that's a different cat than the. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he um this one here. He's been sitting behind the computer and trying to edge his way in and yeah. he finally found That's his way. way.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, well we're we're getting close to the end. What I want to ask you guys is, did you have any questions for me, having been the mom um, in the dynamic? Or is there anything that um that you're curious about that you want to know about that you that I can help you with? Cause I'm a total open book. Um, so shoot.
2: Um, I think the only I think we've kind of touched on it because I wrote we kind of talked about it before, okay, like yeah. what are things that we really want to like focus on. Yeah. Um, and I guess what I'm interested in is so um I have someone else close to me that was in a, an abusive relationship. We recently like just completely moved her out of her apartment, um, like next day out. Um but, like, all of us were aware of, like, how this person acted. Was there anyone in your life, like, friends um, or just other family members that were, like, he? D's not a good dude. Like, he's not a good guy. And I guess, was anyone else, like, really aware um, yeah. or do you feel like he really was completely...
0: No. So, but that's partly my fault because I hid a lot of it. And so if in the book, I say that looking in, I had like a stranger looking in, I had a perfect life, you know? And, um, and when I met him, he, he, you know, he wasn't financially successful that happened during the course of our relationship, but we didn't get married until seven years into living together. So, Um, it still was sort of uh, a common law. So a lot of the assets that were acquired were, were his, but looking in because they saw the trips and the cars and the clothes and the shoes, it was like, oh my God, she got the perfect life because I, I made it appear that way as well. So I didn't really, um, let anyone in because when you do that, and you are honest with what really, how you're really feeling and what's really going on and the, and the accusations and the being called names, and it, then you have to do something about it. Yeah. Right. Then you're forced to act on it because then your friends or your family are going to say it's fucked up. Like, what are you doing? Like you need to get out and until you're ready to deal with that, you don't want, cause your dirty little secret now is out. It's not perfect. I I am driving a luxury car and wearing designer clothes, but I don't feel like this is a stable, secure, loving, nurturing relationship. I don't feel loved. But you also have the cognitive dissonance that has set in. And so you're really, you're really screwed up because the good is really, really good. And then the bad is really, really bad. So I did hide a lot of it um, from uh, my family and my friends Mm-hmm. Um, until I ha- and I, I would make up, so I left four times, but I would always make up a story and how it was also my fault you know, yeah. like, yeah, he pushed me down the stairs, but, but I deserved it. He never pushed me downstairs, but that's sort of what I, right, yeah. uh, but yeah. I deserved it. I shouldn't have said this or I shouldn't have said that. So I would, or all that you're time.
2: essentially equally cult like responsible for the interaction, even
0: though. Yeah. Because I would go back and ha- why do I go back? I've got to have a good story as yeah. to why I would always keep going back or then I'm just as much of a flake as he is. Mm-hmm. So I would always make it, um, make up excuses. i always make up excuses. I was the queen of excuses and sweeping shit under the rug.
2: Did anyone tell you after the fact, like when you finally broke up, they were like, so, so yeah. no one ever said like, Oh, thank God. Or did they? No, no.
0: What I did hear is, you know, I, there was that one time that we were having dinner and, you know, he called you a fucking bitch. I was like, Whoa, like that's what? Like if he does that here, then what's happening behind closed doors? But nobody really um it wouldn't have mattered. It wouldn't have mattered if my friends yeah. came to me because I was not ready yet mm-hmm. to make the ultimate decision to go. Right.
2: That makes sense. Well, yeah. and
3: I think a lot of the times keeping those things to yourself you kind you kind of know how your friends would react like if i ever tell this bitch here like that (laughs) like my partner who yeah you know oh she there's no way she would allow me to like stay in it well and there's a lot of you're not ready to tell your friends because you know they'll do something
2: (laughs) to
1: help you you,
0: (laughs) that's so true that really is true and statistically like if you watch any of the crime murder you know series or anything a lot of the um the uh women and men too but mostly women that are you know killed or whatever you do have a lot of the friends going oh I had no one Gabby Petito I keep coming back to her nobody knew no Mm -hmm. nobody had it because she hit it yeah she didn't let her parents know this other side of him for whatever reason that is. And it can happen to anyone. You get so immersed in that relationship um, that, you know, you know that as soon as you said, Brittany, like when you tell that you're bit lab bitch that, Oh, he's her, he's, he, whatever, then she's going to go, no, 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 no. Yeah. This ain't, you don't want that yeah and and Brittany you might you're like I'm not ready for that I don't want that I don't and and for me it was also embarrassing I gotta say like I was because on the outside like if you see me now um i Pretty much was that same person. You know, I had very, a strong personality. I always did well for myself. I was always, um, I came from Portugal at the age of seven. I was self-sufficient by, by the time I was 17. I was living on my own. I never went back home for help. I was very resourceful. I had a voice and people would not think that I would be in a situation where I was like in such an unhealthy, arrested twice, thrown in jail twice, charged twice, record, fingerprinted that's not the image that you would have because that was a person that was so weak Mm -hmm. to allow myself to be in that position. And I did not, it was embarrassing to me. I didn't want to be looked at as weak and spineless and no voice and a kept woman. And I didn't want people to know that.
2: Yeah. I, I think it like when you think of abusive relationships to the, it's so, it speaks so much to the level of like how um, misogyny really, or just the misogynistic concepts keep women in relationships because, well, this is what I'm supposed to get married. I'm supposed to be happy. um, I'm supposed to have children. Not supposed to divorce. Yeah. yeah, I'm not supposed to get divorced, you know, all those things. So there's also those levels on top of like, obviously the things we know that shouldn't happen but then there's all of that like where that's I feel even now like I'm very confident in being independent but I still feel like there's like I'm going to be 30 in two years and I feel like I should be married or have a you know be with someone and in reality like we have to constantly unlearn those things ourselves Mm -hmm. and remind ourselves that's not like no those are systemic things that are pushing that not Um, but it also hurts us too, in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. like hurts women, like violence against women. Mm -hmm.
0: Yes, I totally agree. I totally agree with you. There's all these, there's all these expectations that we put on ourselves. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. And that's a whole other podcast.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of whole other podcasts. I have a question about, uh, about your perspective as a mother, how do you feel like your relationship with your kids have shifted, grown, changed, being out of the relationship now for five plus years and then reflecting back on when you were in it? Because I can imagine just all that you were dealing with as a human being um, would probably make you less happy and that could affect the way that you're engaging with your kids versus like the kick-ass life that you built yourself now and how maybe you view the difference and how you're able to have relationships
0: with your children? That is a, that's a great question. Um, so when I was in it, um, I uh, I often would actually say that his only saving grace is um, how he is with my children. And again, that was only because I had star children, right? Which made him look good. So, and my, when they were young, um, when they were young, I was, I it was easier to not have them um, see the volatile arguments and the name calling and all of that stuff, me crying. My kids have never saw me cry when I was with him. I would do that privately. So I was really, really cognizant of sheltering them from what was really going on. And then they would benefit from you know, they, he bought them like when they were older, he bought them all, you know, they all had cars and they all went to university. And, um, so I really, I really did shelter them from a lot of the bullshit that was going on. Um, and they, especially the boys, he would go to all their hockey games. He would go to all their football games. Um, and it was very much a financial exchange. Like there wasn't, my kids never, ever, uh, uh, got close to him even the boys uh, there was there's not a closeness and so and all they ultimately I remember speaking to my middle son and he would say I, mom I just want you to be happy like if you're happy then that's all we want we just want you to be happy but now Lexi I mean I can't tell you how many times we sit around the, we sit around the kitchen table and uh, tell stories and just kill ourselves laughing like what the fuck were you thinking. <laughs> oh my God, you remember that one time? I'm like, i
3: know, I know.
0: But more than anything, after coming out of the relationship and having written the book and going back to a much simpler life where I, you know, I had to get a job. I ha- you know, I had to work. I had to fend for myself, had to um, take care of myself, take care of my kids. I feel that now, and I would love to, you know, I, you know, I might have a podcast where I interview my children on this specific topic, but I feel that now our relationship is, especially with my daughter. So my daughter went from 220 pounds to like 130 pounds after leaving that marriage. I did a whole podcast on that, um, which is very, very telling in what was actually ha- happening with her emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel that now it's better than it ever had. Our relationship, we've always been super tight with my kids, but um, it's the level of respect that they have and, um, and admiration for having the guts to say, I literally would rather live under a fucking bridge mm-hmm. than be here one second longer. And it was my daughter that propelled me to drive to that lawyer's office and go, no, right. get me out of this and get me out of this. Now I cannot do this to my children, not to me, to my children one day longer. And now they're like, you know, cause I, now I have two businesses oh and, God. um, it wasn't easy. Uh, and you know, and there's still days that I, nobody's writing me a paycheck. I've got to make my own paycheck. I don't work for a corporation or a company. I am the one that has to make sure that, that, uh, the bills are paid and that I am not relying on my children or whatever to, to take care of me. So there's a certain level of, of respect um, for that, that I know that they've, you know, have said like, mom, good for you. Because let me tell you something, girls, sometimes it's much easier to stay than to go. Mm-hmm. It's much easier to not have to go through all the change and the double that you know is better than the devil that you don't or whatever that expression is and that's why a lot of people do stay it is easier to stay Mm -hmm. believe it or not with all the bullshit that happens and the mental emotional psychological physical financial abuse sometimes it's easier in their mind to stay there than to have to now literally pick up fend for yourself and create a new normal Mm -hmm. so I think my kids and I are better than we ever have been and and I feel like finally I've set a good example for what they should strive for
2: that's great I think that's why like watching you on uh, or what you know what on the bachelor 2, like I think why so many people resonated like because you're. I don't know like I viewed it as like a healthy or it seemed like a you know a healthy relationship that you had um with like I mean, yeah, and that's just something that I think is not commonly seen mm-hmm. no matter what.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I know I'm super tight with all my kids there in my life, and um um, and I regret having um subjected them, especially my daughter. She's the youngest, so she was there the longest. Um, yeah. um having subjected them um to Uh, that tumultuous toxic relationship but it has also opened up their eyes um, to the adversity that can come in in life how like before meeting him I was I was I worked for L'Oreal I went to Paris to my national sales meetings I was doing really well for myself um, without Mm -hmm. him and so it's interesting for them to see how how did you go from that to that to being in a jail cell and peeing in a steel toilet with a camera on you like that can happen to someone who was working for L'Oreal and had was very successful um, so it's you know you can't judge a book by its cover and it can it, it, your conditioning plays a big role in what you tolerate and what you allow in my conditioning, is I came from a broken, not a broken home and parents are still together, but I came from a Portuguese upbringing where my dad is the head of the household. There is chauvinism. He, you know, he, he, he wasn't, he is, was an alcoholic. I saw the way he treated my mother and believe it or not, that's all being ingrained into yes. your brain without you even. Something, knowing.
1: something that we've talked about and I've talked about with other friends is, is how like the trauma and the experiences that we've had make us who we are, which sounds like a cliche, but as much bullshit that I've been through, Brittany, Katie have been through, like, I would not trade it for a yes. perfect life. Um, the lessons that I've learned, the the strength and resiliency that has, that have been instilled in me through all the experiences, I wouldn't trade it for a mansion in a perfect life. Um, and I think that's like important to recognize, um, and reckon with, um, cause of course there's dark moments where you're like, I, like as a kid, there's a lot of things I went through that I didn't deserve to go through. And no, but um, you know
0: what, Lexi, y- you're absolutely right. But, and again, that's life, right? But if you can come out of that with the attitude that you now have, that is where growth comes from. Growth Mm -hmm. comes from struggle. Growth comes from adversity. And then you're also better equipped to deal with what's going, because this isn't the end of shit, sorry to tell you, that you guys are going to encounter in your life. But when you go into life having been there with this new attitude now of um you're glad that it happened and it's made you who you are you're going to be much better equipped to deal with the crap that is going to be coming down the pipeline than someone who's had a really fucking cushy upbringing no financial stress everything's been taken care of they've been coddled all their lives there's never mm-hmm. been and then shit hits the fan how do you think they're going to um, you know, weather that storm. So good for you for saying and acknowledging, uh, I'm okay with, you know, uh, I'm almost grateful for what I've come through. And, and you know what, if I may just turn the limelight back to me now, because I like doing that. Um, (laughs) Same. Um, You know, I wouldn't be doing this, what I'm doing today, right now, and helping women and having a podcast and talking and having these difficult, difficult conversations, had I not gone through what I went through all of my life, not just that marriage, but my upbringing and what I saw. And um, I just wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have the same perspective. And I feel like it's almost my calling. And that's why I went through it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Does anybody else have anything to say? Because I think this was so good. Yeah, this was a really good conversation. Yeah, it's a great conversation. Yeah,
2: it's fun after reading like the whole book to finally just chat about it. And like, because I don't know, you can obviously you can read a book, but um, I don't know, it's just so different to get to talk to the person who wrote it and know even more kind of context. Yeah,
0: you guys follow me. I know Lexi does. I do, yeah. 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 Okay. So I'm going to be doing, um, I don't know when we're going to put this out. Uh, I'd like to get a few recordings under my belt and then start uh, putting them out there on, on the podcast. Um, but just, you know, for you guys and for anyone that's following along or listening, stay tuned. I The biggest platform that I have is is Instagram. So I will keep everyone up uh, updated um, and let you know when the first post is going to be the first episode. Um, I'm going to have, uh, not as many. I'm probably, I think I'm going to have, um, one-on-one from now on, not, not three, but you guys were great. Cause I knew you were friends and we we're going to discuss it, you know, collectively. Um, but I think it was a great conversation to have. I think that a lot of people can relate to each and every one of your stories. I'm so proud of all of you, I do feel like I am like mama Moines to so many people that, um, that do follow me. And, um, and I, and Lexi, like, good for you. Amazing, you know, playing um, uh, hockey and uh, fending for yourself. And you're so sounds like you're so driven. You didn't let your, you didn't let any of that affect you. Good for you for realizing that so early on, because a lot of people will continue the pattern. So, I'm all of you break the cycle and rebuild the kick ass life that you want. And a kick ass life doesn't have to be because people would look at my life back then and think, well, fuck, that was a kick ass life. You had, you know, a Beamer and a Mercedes and you had vacation properties and you travel all over the world and blah, blah, blah. So, people would think that was a kick ass life. That wasn't a kick ass life. Having, You know, freedom, living life on your own terms, not walking on eggshells, having a home that's full of love that you don't ever have to worry that there's going to, you know, it's all going to erupt and explode at any minute. Cultivating um, friendships, nurturing them, having people in your life that elevate you, um, getting up every day and loving what you do and doing what you love. That's a fucking kick-off life. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. Hell yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to sign off now. Thank you, all of you, all the listeners. Uh, keep listening. We're, this is uh, sort of um, a rendition of what the book is about and what, you, what the conversations that you can expect to hear. We're going to be breaking it down going forward chapter by chapter. Thank you for joining me today on Get Real with Mama Moines. Thank you, girls, for being a part of it. It was uh, so powerful. I loved our conversation. And we'll see you next time on Get Real with Mama Moines. Bye. 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 Bye.